Welcome to Talk Commerce, where we explore how merchants, agencies, and developers experience commerce and the communities they work and live in. This week, we interview Howard Tursky, the CEO of From, the digital transformation agency. Howard helps executives win in today's digital world. He is a Wall Street Journal's best-selling author of Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. Howard has been named one of the top 10 digital transformation influencers to follow today by IDG. As an entrepreneur, he has launched two successful companies that help large brands transform to thrive in the digital age. We have a great conversation around the digital experience, how customers navigate it, and what a business owner should do to stay relevant in today's world. You can find Howard's book at wdc.ht forward slash order. This episode was recorded on July 22nd, 2021. As a special addendum to all my new episodes, and if you watch the videos, you will see that I often offer free jokes, but I don't often give free jokes. So I'm making sure that in my intro, I'm giving a free joke. After Peter Parker lost his job as a photographer at the Daily Bugle, he transitioned into web development. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by SwiftDotter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet SwiftDotter. Swift Otter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at SwiftDotter.com. And now, Talk Commerce. All right, welcome to Talk Commerce. Today, we are very um, excited to have Howard Tursky, best-selling Wall Street author. And Howard, I, I normally butcher names. I'm terrible at it. Why don't you introduce yourself Give us more of a of a background that I just gave and maybe one of your passions in life. Sure. Hey, Brent. Well, thank you so much for having me. No, you did fine with my name, Howard Tierski. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, you know, my my passion professionally anyway is working with uh, companies on digital transformation, which I've been doing since long before that particular term was coined. But I just am such a believer in the power of digital to transform people's lives and transform companies. And I've seen it over and over again, how we can take a good value proposition and make it something that is just so much more beloved by customers, particularly in this day and age where people are living this digital lifestyle, where their ability to connect digitally to a brand is very often uh, either the number one or at least a very, very high priority part of their customer journey. So I love doing that. And uh Personally, I'm an avid scuba diver and I have five kids, so they keep me pretty busy. And that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. Wow. So some of your kids, you could, you could kind of keep them in one of those shark cages while you're doing your scuba diving and making sure that they don't get, they don't get out of hand anywhere. Very Well, I tell you, my, my oldest daughter, Rachel, she just got certified as a dive master in Hawaii. So actually she now is, uh, 
she's above me. I think I'm just a regular diver. So I think I have to salute her when we go diving together. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of work. Um, good. So it's great to meet you today. Um, I know we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, I would love to talk about digital transformation and we, we kind of did our, our green room talk around retail and what does it mean to be online or not online? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your vision of digital transformation and maybe we could frame it for a smaller merchant and then frame it for a, a, an organization that would have an enterprise level sort of transformation that has to happen. Sure. Happy to. Well, first of all, uh, maybe I'll just define what I mean when I talk about digital transformation only because it's a buzzword. And so it can mean a lot of different things to different people. But what I observe in the world is that our customers, all of our customers, whether frankly they're B2C or B2B, have changed dramatically in the last decade or so. And they've accelerated that pace of change in the last 18 months or so under COVID in that digital has become more and more and more central to their lifestyle. Many people would say, you know, if, if they left home and they accidentally forgot their iPhone, uh, you know, if I hear metaphors like it's, it's like my you know, a limb was cut off all day long, like not having that at your disposal is so um, it just becomes so, so integral to how people live their lives. And that transfers over everything we do from shopping to dining, to dating, to, you know, learning, healthcare, just about everything. And so to me, when we talk about digital transformation of a company or a retailer, large or small, it's really about aligning what that company is doing with where the world is going. If your customer is already living a digital lifestyle and you aren't offering them a uh, aligned journey, you're still offering the kind of customer journey you may have done many years ago, or you've shifted a little, but not as much as your customer has shifted, then you're at great risk. Uh, you know, my book, uh, thank you for mentioning earlier, Wall Street Journal bestselling book, uh, was really proud of that we came out earlier this year, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. And we stuck that second part on there because the, the, the sad truth is that companies that don't get in step with the needs of their customers. Well, we've seen so many examples and in, in the retail space, as much as in any industry, many, many brands who've, who are now no longer in business. And of course, there's never only one reason, but very often a huge contributor is that they just didn't successfully get far enough, fast enough in the world of digital. So I think that's, that's to me what we're talking about here. And when we talk about retail, I think, uh, you know, in the early days of digital, you had kind of like stores, it was like their in-store experience, and then you had your online experience. But today, I don't think you can think about it that way because people who are in your store are quite probably online while they're in your store, either on your site or your app or someone else's, right? Maybe they're checking prices on Amazon or they're Googling reviews. So their experience, even in your store, is increasingly a digital experience. And of course, when they're online at home, one component, obviously fulfillment is a key component of any kind of e-commerce experience. Increasingly, we're seeing more and more retailers fulfilling from stores, not just from warehouses, making that inventory accessible. And of course, buy online, pick up at the store, pick up curbside, whatever it may be, is, is, has more than doubled as a means of customer interaction just in the last 12 months based on studies. And so there's this tremendous blurring between the idea of the digital, the digital retail experience and the in-store. And I think that blurring is just going to continue more and more. And I was, I was always amazed that companies like Best Buy, who, if you remember at one point, their stock was like six, seven bucks, and they were getting just beat up by, by Amazon, that they didn't accelerate that process quicker than they did 
Um, and now that we've gone through COVID, there are still people sort of sitting on the fence. And, and I think us, even as an agency, saw consumers or merchants, I should say, deciding, well, we're not going to, we're going to hold back on our budget right now, or we're going to hold back on our digital because we wanted to see what would happen. And, uh, and, my, and my thought would be that was the time to double down. And I would say that, argue that now is always the time to double down on your digital. And it's just, as you said, that the in-store experience is now just as important as that online experience for the merchant or for the client, the consumer to, to see as they're shopping. Well, absolutely. First of all, I, I couldn't agree more about doubling down on digital because, and my son, you, you and I are both in this business, right? So it might sound self-serving, but the world is doubled down on digital. Your customer is doubling down on digital. They're ordering more of their goods and services digitally every day. So that's the direction the world is going. It's not, a, you know, so therefore, if you're not doing that, you're just falling farther and farther behind. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, you mentioned Amazon, of course, no, no discussion of retail is, is not complete or even serious if you don't ask the question for every retailer, how do I compete with Amazon? And Amazon has so many strengths. One of the strengths they don't have is physical presence. They have, a few, I think they have 500 something stores. I saw a statistic the other day that Amazon is 9% of all retail transactions in the United States. And they're like, their stores represent something like 0.0001% of all stores. <laughs> so depending on the shopping use case that may or may not be relevant to a given customer, obviously ordering online is tremendously convenient. Ordering online from Amazon, where you have tremendous you know, tremendous number of SKUs where you have customer reviews, you know, by the boatload where they probably already have your, your payment information is very, very convenient. But having a local presence is something that you can use to compete with Amazon. I think there's many ways retailers should do that. So those that already have that, I think it's not about just saying, oh yes, the physical store will never go away. We believe in that. But it's about saying, no, no, the customer is digital, but digital doesn't mean you stay in your house all the time. I mean, it did for a brief period of time, right? With COVID. But people want to go places, and there's a variety of reasons, maybe two or three main reasons, why people will leave their house and drive somewhere rather than ordering something through a website or a mobile app sitting on their, on their couch. And retailers with those kinds of physical presence, whether you're talking about uh, you know, a large national chain like a Best Buy, or whether you're talking about a small retailer that just has one store, but you're obviously serving, in that case, your local community. You're the jewelry store located in your small town. Fine. How are you competing with the online world to make sure that you continue to dominate that market that you're in? And I think that that physical presence is, is a huge, uh, huge benefit. And then you need to figure out, how do I make that physical presence um, as valuable as possible to people living a digital lifestyle? Yeah. So I think... Um what you need to do is what what you need to do as a merchant big or small is map that journey out map the journey of what that client would be doing and in that jewelry uh, jewelry store case what are they going to search for first then make sure that that shows up on your google results and then make sure that that's appealing enough to say hey we're open from 10 to 6 or whatever 10 to 8 come in and and try this out and and feel it and touch it and put it on your Put it on your fiance's finger. Uh, I, I doubt there are. Well, I shouldn't say that because there's probably a lot of younger people that are just going to buy a uh, an engagement ring online. But most of the time, you want to see that. You want to have that experience of touching it and feeling it. But you also, as a as the or as the um, merchant, 
you need to attract them to come to your location. So maybe you could comment a little bit about the journey that that each of those merchants should should map out to make sure that they're covering those bases for that yeah, uh, particular absolutely. client. Well, you know, I wrote an article a while back about the three reasons people get off their couch and go to a store. <laughs> because, you know, convenience is very often a very high priority for people. And so if you're trying to get people to your physical location, you have to think, well, why would they do that? And I think there's three main reasons and they're not all applicable. So you have to un- understand what, what kind of products and services are you selling and when are they applicable? Here's the three reasons. Number one, I need it right now, right? So that's the 7-Eleven reason, right? If I need you know, milk right now, not three hours from now, I don't want to call Instacart or what have you. That's one reason to get off my butt and take the trouble of getting in my car and going to the store. That's reason one. Uh, reason number two is the one you mentioned. I want to touch it and feel it. It's the kind of product that I don't want to risk ordering it and comes two days later and then I don't like it. So that's clearly a powerful reason. And reason number three is I want an experience. I want to go out. I don't want to stay in my house. And I think that malls, for example, um, we're seeing obviously a big decline in, attend, uh, in, in real estate values, rents, and, 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 and vacancy, increase in vacancies and reduction in, in traffic to especially certain types of malls. But some of the malls that are doing the best are those that offer a great experience. Places like Mall of America or American Dream in Secaucus, New Jersey that just opened, uh, or even Palisade Park, another one near me in, in, uh, in, New York, in New York State, where they have rides and great restaurants and comedy club and a movie theater. And you know, it's not only a place to go buy a pair of socks. That you, you, it's a place to go out to. And I think that, and by the way, that doesn't have to be a mall. If you have a fantastic experience in a retail store, uh, you know, people go to Starbucks when they could make coffee at home, partly because they, even if they believe they could make, even if they have Starbucks beans at home, some people will still go to Starbucks because they want that experience to go out. So, so these are the three reasons. And I think then every retailer needs to ask, okay, you know, depending on what you sell, you know, uh, if you sell box, if you're a big box retailer, then it may be that the opportunity to try it, experience it isn't so pro- pro- important. But then again, take Best Buy. If you're going to buy a camera, the ability to pick it up. If you're buying a cable, then it's kind of hard to argue. Oh, I want to touch it and feel it. You know, if you're buying a camera, maybe you do want to do that. And then, and then I'd be thinking about it. How do you make that? First of all, make sure that that experience in the store is great. So if you're just, you know, it's like, that was one of, I think the big flaws of Toys R Us, you know, Toys R Us wanted to be an experiential shopping experience. But I remember reading at the time the Toys R Us went out of business that they had strict rules in most of their stores that nobody was allowed to take any of the toys out of the box. So, you know, if the idea was, well, I'll go to the store, I'll get to experience the toy before I buy it. No, not permitted. And this was before COVID. All you can do is take a box off the shelf, put it in your shopping cart. Well, heck, I can do that on Amazon. So how do you find those points of differentiation that you have the power to create by being a physical retailer, but you have to actually do it? You also have the opportunity to not take advantage of your physical proximity, to not really be strong in those areas. And, And by the way, I think when you have the opportunity to expose inventory in advance, that's often very valuable because, again, you're trying to convince somebody they should get off their butt and go to your store. The last thing I want to do is say, oh, I need a heart pendant for my daughter, drive all the way to the jewelry store and discover they don't even have that. They don't sell that. Well, you know, I'd really want to try to figure that out. And you want to make that as convenient as possible up front. So I find out whether they have it and then make sure there's a value proposition that tells me and you really want to come see this one in person. So I kind of get that, me- that mess- message that I shouldn't just go- search for heart pendant on Amazon. I should really come to their store. Yeah. And I, so I, I want to just touch on two of those points. Uh, 
the the specifically around Toys R Us, I agree that their experience was very dry and and it was very you go in and it seemed like a Walmart, you know, just a uh, very right. very non non uh non non aisles or whatever. So, uh but I'm embarrassed to say that sometimes I like to go to Costco just for the experience. <laughs> and we always say Oh gosh, it's Saturday. Why did we go to Costco? But the fun thing about that is they always have they always have their little specials or something new. It's you go in, everything's changed around every single day. And it is an experience to go through that. And a lot of that stuff you can buy online. In fact, you can get Instacart and have your entire Costco thing sent to you. But getting out of the house and going through that experience is such an important part. And I I think that part of that that every retailer should think about is making it attractive for people to come to your place, making some of those little things that stand out and change on a daily basis, if you can, to, to attract them to come back to you. You're absolutely right. Knowing that there's a bargain bin that you can sort through and, and have that, that endorphin rush of getting something at a great price is part of the experience. And by the way, BJ's, Costco, Sam's Club, these guys all, they feed you, right? I mean, it may not be high end, but they're all have got pizza and pretzels and other stuff that you can buy. Plus all the samples, right? You can, you can eat a whole meal just walking around Costco on a Saturday afternoon, trying all the stuff. And I'm sure that's done for several reasons, partly to promote the products, but it's partly a no doubt to make sure that that experience is something that makes you want to come back again and again. So yes, I agree. And, and it's an important point because it's the point is not everything that is an experience that people want to go to is automatically some kind of a, a high-end experience. And one more thought about that, which is, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to Toys R Us because, you know, it's easy to have a vision of this amazing, you know, we're going to create a toy shopping experience that's a wonderland for kids. And of course, their flagship store in Times Square was more along those lines. But I kept hearing that that store never made any money. It was so expensive to operate and it was on such expensive real estate. So it was really just about building the brand, which is fine, but you can't do that with every store, right? You got to make money somewhere. So retail can have very thin margins. And so that can make it challenging to figure out, well, wait a minute, Howard, you know, you're telling me to create this great experience. You're telling me to just, you know, but, but I, all I can afford and still make margins is steel shelves or whatever they're made of and, and, and boxes. You know, I can't have people taking all the toys out of the boxes because then I got to pay people to put them all back and I'm going to have some shrink and can't afford it. And you got to figure out how to get past that mindset because yes, any business has to be ecological. You, you can't just throw money at creating a better customer experience. Look at what Costco's doing. They make money by giving those samples away because they charge the companies who are wanting to be promoted. It's like more expensive than an end cap. So here is Costco figuring out a way to improve your experience that they make money on. And I think, you know, other stores are creating little classes in the store that you pay $15 to go to, things like that, you know. So you have to be able to be creative and figure out how do you create a better experience. You might not be able to raise your prices. If you can, great. If you can create such a differentiated shopping experience that people are willing to pay more, fantastic. If you can't make more money that way, you have to get creative and figure out how do we create a better experience that is, you know, eco economically ecological, but still solves that problem. Because if not, they're going to stay home and they're going to order online. Yeah, and I, the 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 climate now for a small retailer and the tools available for a small retailer, you have everything that you can possibly want to bring those people to your store, create that experience, and get them out the door 
and make money. And it, it isn't, it isn't always about around price. It is a lot about how, how they, how soon they want it. I, I like your top three things. Uh, they want to touch it. They want it now. And they, and they, um, they want that experience. So that's where those smaller boutique retailers and going back to the toy ones, the little toy stores are still around and they're still, they're still there and they're still fun to go to because your kids can go and play with that toy while you're going to go and buy one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, IKEA is another example of a store that's put a lot of focus on experience. You know, there's like the ball pit and all that, you know, probably closed for COVID now. So absolutely. I think that's that's the kind of thing that that's one strategy to win, but you need a digitally, you need a strategy for the digital age. And of course, you know, the other is recognizing that, you know, the hybrid e-commerce in-store model can also be very valuable to make sure you realize that you you may be driving e-commerce sales through the visit to the store. And there's a lot of ways to do that. For example, the whole endless aisle opportunity that digital gives a store to offer products that they don't have space to stock within the store, different styles, different sizes, different colors, or entire product categories, which aren't literally there in the store, but which once the person's in the store, you can, you can sell. And of course, that usually requires some more um, expert uh, sales people, people who associates in the store who can really engage with someone and help them. Imagine someone comes to your store to buy a hammer and you wind up selling them a, you know, $2,700 shed for their yard that someone's going to come install. I mean, Home Depot does that all the time. So I think that that's another, the sort of drop ship model is another opportunity or likewise, also the subscription model, you know, someone comes into your store to buy. And I, I guess my point here is that digital all of a sudden makes it possible for that one if you can't raise your prices and you're spending money on experience, what can you do to make, to get it back? Right. And one way is we'll make, get, make more money from that visit by making sure that you've cemented that customer more. And if you can lock them into, you know, they come in, someone comes in to buy toilet paper. Can you upsell them a toilet paper subscription with monthly deliveries to their house? I buy a garbage can from uh, bed, bath and beyond from simply human. And it has these specially fitted garbage bags look nice with the garbage can because they wrap perfectly around the rim and they're, they're promoting that to me in the box. So I buy the garbage can and bet simply human probably doesn't make a ton because of course bed, bath and beyond taking a big cut, but then they have a thing in there to get me to order a subscription of their garbage bags. So now I bought the garbage can three years ago and every month they send me garbage bags. Now that's, that's the manufacturer making that money, not the retailer in that particular case. But honestly, if I were bed, bath and beyond, I'd be saying to simply human, hold up, <laughs> you know, you're using us for the loss leader and you're making all the money on the back end. And similarly, obviously retailers can be in that kind of fulfillment business as well. So I think that's the kind of model that a lot of stores should be thinking about. When you're talking to merchants that have a retail and they have a website, what, what are the top things that you would say to them that they, they, it's a must have to, to put those two together, to put that experience of online and in-person together uh, that they can do um, you know, they, they, let's just say they have a budget, they can do some of these things, but they don't know what they should be doing. What, what are the, if you, the top level things, what would you tell them? Sure. Sure. Hmm. Okay. A few, uh, my brain is being pelted by different things. So I'll give you a few. I can't promise these will be in priority order. I mean, the first thing is to make sure that you don't have, um, misaligned motivations in terms of the people within your store. Uh, for example, if a store is measured on in-store sales, how motivated are they going to be to convince the person that, hey, next time you need this, you don't have to drive all the way to the store. You could just buy it on our website. I mean, there's some hysterical Dunder Mifflin uh, you know, uh, stuff from the office right, <laughs> around this type of topic. So, But this is a very real thing. 
you know, many stores are now wisely crediting retail locations with e-commerce uh, orders placed within certain zip codes that are near the store on the belief that those orders are in some way influenced by the existence of that store. They may or may not be. It's an imprecise process, but making sure that the store personnel, the manager, everybody else is all in favor of making sure that if someone walks into that store, you're encouraging them to connect via e-commerce the next time. Because in so many situations, convenience is such a powerful motivating force that if you don't plant in that customer's mind that you have a strong e-commerce presence, they're probably going to go to Amazon. They're going to like, well, I could drive to GNC and get this product, but you know what? I, I know what I want now. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the worst case scenario? Someone comes to your store, they speak to your associate, they get advice on a, on a consumable item, like, like vitamins, and then they go home with the product. They bought it from you once. And then for the rest of their lives, they order it from Amazon. You know, that happens all the time. How do you make sure that you're not letting that happen? So that's the first thing is to make sure that you have aligned motivations. I think uh, a second thing is to expose inventory. And I touched on this earlier. You want to allow someone who's browsing online to understand what's available in the store. And more and more retailers are doing this, but certainly not all. And it can be tricky because some stores have different inventory available through their e-commerce their e-commerce property than they do in the store. And it can be complicated in terms of where is the inventory. But the optimal is to make sure that you've exposed the inventory in the store for several reasons. One reason is because the one I said earlier, you want someone to be able to understand, is this available in the store? Because maybe if it's not, it's available in you know the next one, the next town over, and you can get someone to go rather than wasting their time and giving them a bad experience. Uh, secondly, of course, if they want it shipped to them and it's not in the warehouse, it's only in the store, you want them to know about it because you still want to sell that thing and you still want to ship it to them, even if it has to be shipped from the store. So I think that's the second thing is making sure you have an integrated approach to inventory so you can really help the customer understand what do you actually have in the store and what do you not have in the store right now. And, and um, you know, I think uh, 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 related to that, connected to that is making sure you're creating awareness around the physical location in the e-commerce experience. So again, you certainly see some uh, sites. I think Best Buy does this well. I think uh, Staples is doing this well. If they come on the website, you wanna make sure you quickly geolocate them if possible. Make sure you are telling them, uh, if assuming they have a store nearby. Now, sometimes they don't, right? Sometimes they're in the middle of Oregon. The closest store is 800 miles away. Okay, well then obviously you don't wanna say, hey, good news, the closest store is 800 miles away. I mean, you need some intelligence <laughs> in the personalization, but if someone's got a store nearby, you really want to emphasize that because plenty of people shop and they look at multiple websites. Don't think just because you're on their website and you have what they want, they're automatically going to buy from you. So that's a key selling point and make sure that you don't miss out on it. And again, so in some organizations, the e-commerce people are measured on e-commerce sales and they're like, okay, we're going to put a store locator tab in the corner for you store people because you know we'll be good corporate citizens. But generally speaking, we want people to order on the website. We're not really trying to send them to the physical store. And if you have that kind of misaligned motivations, you're going to miss the opportunity to get that differentiation from Amazon by having the physical location. And I like the point you brought up on the store locator, because I think now with the technology the way it is and how easy it is to do geolocation on your on nearly every single web uh, e-commerce platform that's out there, that merchants should be keying in on, especially ones with more than one location, keying in on that idea of, hey, I'm in... Um, I'm in uh, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, there's another store in Dublin, and 
if you want to get this thing, you could drive 10 minutes to get to it, or we'll, we'll have it shipped to your house for free uh, because we know you're right around here. Or if you're shopping in some other place or you're going to be going to some place, it's great to know that, that that inventory is in that other location. So having the ability to punch in a zip code and then and then have that zip code bring in near inventory is a is a real powerful tool. And from a technology standpoint and a costing standpoint, it's getting increasingly um, cheaper and cheaper to do that as as a merchant from a technology standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And then I think you know, I'll uh, add one more thing, which is yeah, go ahead. emphasizing experience and, and, and insight and advice that can be provided to you in the store where that is true. Now, it's not always the case, depending on the type of store that it is. But for example, whether it's Best Buy or Home Depot or perhaps Staples or Michaels or, you know, uh, Joanne Fabrics, or I mean, many a GNC or a vitamin shop. Many of these stores, Home Depot or, or Lowe's, there are many stores where one of the part of the experience you're looking for is getting help and, and advice. And while, you know, I mean, again, Amazon is never going to get on the phone with you and tell you which, which drill you should buy. But of course, that's why they have the reviews. So Amazon is actually quite strong at providing advice, but you have to read through a bunch of stuff. Whereas for someone who just really prefers to talk to somebody, this is, again, an opportunity for the physical location to be differentiated from your classic e-commerce experience. And so I think that's just another point that, you know, it's like you don't want to assume that, well, people know that, you know, well, you know, people don't necessarily know that. And I think that's a powerful um, thing. And I'll actually add one more and uh, you can move on. I'm sorry. I have so many answers. I said a lot of things come to mind when you ask this question. But another is, you know, people often like to support local businesses. And that can be true if it's just, you know, Howard's hardware store, but it can also even be true if it's a national chain, because who's working at the Best Buy near me? People who live in my town, people who live near me. Maybe I even know somebody who works there, somebody who's my, you know, a friend who goes to high school with my daughter works there, whatever, you know. And so there is a natural, one of the things I talk a lot about in my book is customer love and the emotional reasons why people make purchase decisions. And this is one aspect, which is, hey, this store is part of my community. If I go on the Best Buy site, I don't really feel like I'm buying from a store in my community, but if I go to the Best Buy on Route 17, that's you know five miles from my house, I may feel that more. And certainly, if you're a smaller uh, business where you're not a big known national brand, then that's an even uh, even a str- another component that's strong. And so, you know, leverage that, right? Talk about that. You know, you're, you you're part of the community. You're, and this is not a new idea. Of course, stores have been doing this for a long time, but I think it's it's more important now than ever because it used to be. All the stores I go to are in my community. You know, that was it. Before the digital world, what was I going to do? Drive to another state to go and buy, you know, my power drill? No, of course, I'm going to go to one of the few stores that are reasonably close to my community. But now so many um, uh, purchases are made uh, on the internet. Again, you want to fight against that. Remind people that buying here is supporting your local community. Yeah, I think another another topic on that or another point to make on, on the in-store versus out-of-store versus shipping is that they have each store has to be aware of the fact that they shouldn't be charging for shipping for clients to come and pick up something at their store and they should be thinking about how are they competing against Amazon and the costs whether the client is going to choose to either have it shipped to their house or pick up at the store they have to keep that experience in mind and keep it as easy as possible so when a client goes and says hey I'd like to get this shed uh, the shed is going to be 
you know, you could pick it up at the store for free or you'll have it delivered with white hand with white glove treatment for 50 bucks or something like that. Keeping that in mind and keeping uh, how that experience happens is an important part. Yeah. You know, it's a tricky topic. I think that as a very broad general rule for most products, you just can't charge for shipping. You just can't do it. And you just have to factor the cost into, um, you know, your, your, your base price of the product, just because it's so negative for customers to be asked to pay for shipping. They've been trained by Amazon and others that that is just not an expense they should have to bear. So for most products, uh, that is not a successful strategy. They'd rather see the price be $10 more than see it be that, and then be told you have to pay $10 for shipping. Now having, cause you know, I'm part, part of what they think is, well, I have Amazon Prime, so I'm already paying Amazon for shipping. So why should I pay you additionally when, when they'll ship it to me for free? Very smart strategy by Amazon. However, um, there are certain product categories where you can get away with it. I do think that large installable products, um, and certainly, you know, if you look in like the ticketing industry as an example, right? You know, you go buy five $250 tickets to a, to a concert from Ticketmaster. They also charge you a delivery fee and a processing fee and a convenience fee and all these different things, you know? And, and people pay it. So I think you have to study it. I mean, we're big advocates of customer research to really understand how people are responding to different things. I mean, they, by the way, they don't like it, right? They don't like all those fees, but they do pay them. And I think that's in part because these ticketing companies have a monopoly. It's like, if you want tickets to this concert, you know, you're coming to us. So um, anyway, like I say, I think there are cases where you can get away with it, uh, but I think those are the exceptions. And the rule needs to be, if you're struggling with, should I charge for shipping or not? The odds are most almost certainly... You don't charge for shipping, get that money another way. Uh, going back to the digital transformation topic and helping any size merchant with how they're going to map out that journey from the customer. And if, if anybody does, isn't aware of what the customer journey is, it's from, from the beginning when they find you to the end until they buy it. And then that repeat process, I, I think that everybody, number one, has to be aware of that. But they, they should have a rudimentary idea of that and they should map it out and they should do it as an exercise and start uh, measuring or testing customers against what their journey is and then tweaking it constantly, just like A-B testing, uh, but more of a holistic approach. How, how would you advise people to start on that? I think I, I couldn't agree more with every single thing that you just said. And it is a research process to make sure that you truly understand what your customer's real experience is right now as they go through the full life cycle. Of course, you want to map out the stages. There's usually a, some sort of an awareness stage, a shopping stage, a purchasing process, a consumption or use period, probably some sort of renewal or reconsideration. And those phases do vary a little bit by industry. Um, but what often happens is that companies sit in a conference room and they say, okay, well, we know what happens. What happens is the customer does this and then da, 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 and that's the process. That's what it's supposed to be, right? But what is it really? I mean, I'll just give you a small example that literally just happened before we, get on, we got on together. Somebody sent me a sample of a, what's supposed to be this delightful customer experience. It's a kind of a video book. I won't, I won't get into the details of it, but it's a sample of this product. It's a marketing um, uh, gimmick, I guess you could say. And we're thinking about using for one of our clients. So it's supposed to be this wonderful experience. The client opens the book and inside it, there's video playing, right? How cool. They send it to me in a cardboard box that is so taped up that, you know, I tried to open it like with my hand, you know, with my finger, no, no, no dice. I'm in the garage because they left it by the way. I grab a screwdriver. I can't get the screw. I need something sharper, you know? 
you know, it's like I'm I need to go like get some tools so I can open up this package. Now, I have no doubt that the person who came up with this inventive, wonderful new method of connecting with customers through a video book has nothing to do with how much tape is used on the box. Right. I'm certain that that person probably doesn't order and get them shipped to himself or herself as a box. And they have no idea. But that's the point. Right. If you're frustrating the heck out of your customer because of how much tape you use on the box, are they never going to buy from you? No, I'm not saying that. But the quality of the journey is often identified by adding up all the really delightful moments and then subtracting all the really painful moments. So, of course, we want to add as many delightful moments as we can and we want to eliminate as many points of pain as we can. And it's very, very common that companies simply are unaware of some of these points of pain. And when they're eliminated, especially if you eliminate a bunch of them, it can make a big difference. And some of them are not hard to eliminate. How hard would it be for this company to find whoever in the mailroom who probably with the best of intentions is thinking, I don't want this box to open up in the mail under any circumstances, even during an alien invasion, their, their lasers will not be able to penetrate all the tape I'm putting on this box. I'm sure it's with the best of intentions, but it's a customer experience mistake and it's easily corrected. Yeah, and, and I'm just going to say that that type of thing is worse if it's free because you want you just want to get the thing open and figure out if you like it. And by the way, I just ah. got one. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, it didn't come in in a double tape box, and it was in a nice box with a nice sticker that I just had to break one little thing and open it up, and then it was presented very well. It's amazing you just had that sitting right there next to you. That's amazing. I'll have to find out later what company that is. I don't want to say on this which company sent me mine, but it looked like your screen was bigger than the one I'm working with, so I'm interested in learning more about it. Yeah, it's an actual distance. We, we, we just got it from PIMCOR. It's a, a, a product information management system, but anyways, um, the, I, I like your point. And the, the idea is there is always go back and, and ask the customer how their journey was. No matter, just even if you did an NPS type of score where you said, rate this thing one through 10, if you'd like to put a comment in, go ahead, put a comment in. Uh, because you're right, I, you know, the, the fact that you have to take uh, an hour to try to get the box open is very frustrating and it doesn't help anybody. Um, and at all, it's, it might be worse for the environment. And there's so many things now around shipping and, and all those things that you don't expect. And I think the point you're making there is every little piece of that, every person that's touching that product as it goes through, you have to be aware of what all those people are doing. So if they're packing their box and they're putting, you know, a ton of stuff in it and, and make sure that all those things in that box are what they need and, and it's nicely done and it's presented well, because the first thing somebody's going to do is open up that box and take out the bubbles and look at it. And if it's nicely presented, that's, that's another point of experience that you can get with a client. Totally agree. Um, great. So we have about 10 minutes left. Um, why don't you give us some background on what you're reading and maybe tell us a little bit about your book? Uh, okay, sure. What I'm reading. Well, let's see. Uh, I was just at the beach with my Kindle. So I was reading two books. One was a book my wife thought I should read, which is Grit by, I think it's Angela Duckworth. Uh, the premise of which is essentially talent is not what's this, the gauge of success in life. It's essentially how hard you work. So my wife is giving me a book that I need to work harder, I guess. Um, I think Grit was also a John Wayne movie. 
Oh, know. okay. Uh, probably a different message. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. And then um, I'm also reading uh, Charlene Lee's book, The Disruption Mindset, which is a great book about driving innovation within large organizations and some of the challenges and how to overcome it. So great book. I strongly recommend it. Excellent. Um, what, uh, what, well, let's, let's just talk a little bit about your book. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my book, uh, which is called Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, it's essentially a five-step blueprint for how companies can undergo digital transformation, what it takes to build a, a vision for a future version of your company that will really compete toe-to-toe with digitally outstanding companies, how to create that vision, how to execute that vision, and how to undertake the changes in your organization that may be needed through leadership to actually bring that vision to life. Because it's never just about the technology. It's about sometimes business process or the business model or other facets that are, you know, inherent to your organization. So um, the five, there's five steps. And, and I should add that, you know, where this all came from, I spent 25 years consulting with mostly large companies on this type of work, digital transformation. And so I've seen a lot of successes and I've been thankfully part of a lot of successes and I've seen a lot of failures and I've been a part of, I've led some failures. So I've had the opportunity to learn about things that work and things that fail. And I would never in a million years say there's only one path of success. There's probably paths to success that I don't even know about, but I've learned certain things that I know are at least a path to success. And by the way, I've learned a lot of things that are paths to failure. So what I try to do in this book is based on what I've learned from working with scores of Fortune 1000 brands, what are the steps that successful companies go through to get to the promised land, which is a customer journey that today's digital customers love and business results that are at the top of the charts. And there's many studies that have been done from companies like Forrester or Gartner or McKinsey and KPMG and others that show how those two correlate that companies that are digitally mature, providing an elegant digital experience, tend to be the companies with the highest stock valuation as a multiple, the greatest profitability, the greatest revenue growth, et cetera. Uh, where would you advise people to buy this book? Well, um, if they go to winning, it's available pretty much anywhere you'd buy a book. But if I was going to pick where you would buy the book, it's more important to me that you buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if I was going to pick, we have a website for the book, which is at winningdigitalcustomers.com, just all one word, winningdigitalcustomers.com. And there there's links to all, you can buy it from us directly. There's also links to, if you want the hardcover, if you want the Kindle or the Nook or the Apple book, obviously you have to buy from wherever, you know, whichever platform you have, and it's available at all those places. And um, it also has a place where you can download the first chapter for free. So if you want to check that out before you buy, you can do that as well at winningdigitalcustomers.com. Perfect. And I'll put all these in the show notes so we, Thank you. we can see them. Yeah. Um, good. So um, as we close things out, uh, if you have something that you would tell a merchant as one of the most important things they could do with their, with their store, their digital transformation, what would be a, a really big piece of, or what would be a good nugget you could tell them? Well, I'll say it in two parts. I think the key to success in any business, and it's as true if you're a merchant as if you're a chiropractor, is to find a way to create even more value for the customer. That's how you're going to get more value back. Create more value for the customer, whether that's in the product or the price or the experience or the bundle, whatever it may be. And then that begs the second question, well, well how do I do that? What is the investment I can make that will create more value? 
because there's always many ways you could create more value. You know, you could carpet the store more nicely. You could offer free coffee. You could lower your prices. You could have a clown to entertain kids in your store. I mean, you know, there's an endless number of things you might do. And some of them would probably be great for customers. And some of them customers wouldn't care about. And some of them would cost a fortune and you'd never get your money back. And some of them might be genius things that don't cost much and have a huge impact on your bottom line. So the key to figuring that out is customer research. And we've talked about it, you know, throughout this conversation, using structured processes to make sure you understand really what are your customers' greatest points of pain and what are the, therefore, ideas that you may be able to generate to possibly alleviate them or create more delight. And then prototype and test those things. So you're not sort of flying off with, okay, I see the problem. I know the solution. Let's spend a million dollars on it. But how do you do small, inexpensive tests to really assess whether that idea that you have that you think will solve that point of customer pain really does and really is appealing to the customer. And that is actually the type of process that I talk about a lot in the book is it's a test and learn process that starts with customer research, goes to ideation, but then prototyping and testing those. And it's very much rooted in principles of design thinking. For those that are familiar with that methodology, we sort of expand on it. But this basic idea that you know we, we empathize with the customer first and foremost. So to get to figure out how to add more value and to do it in an ecological way, by which I mean, you create 10 units of value and you get 11 units of value back. Because what you don't want to do is create is have the cost of 10 units of value and get two units back because you can't stay in business that way. Um, that's uh, a lot of what I talk about in more detail in the book as well. Great. That's, that's excellent. Um, good. So uh, as, as we wrap things up, I always like to give people a chance to do a shameless plug. Uh, why don't you go ahead and Tell us what, uh, what you'd like to promote or plug today. Sure. Okay. Well, I already talked about the book. Uh, other things, uh, Mike, I, I run a uh, digital agency and consulting company called From the Digital Transformation Agency. If you're interested in learning more about that, our URL is from.digital. Um, I also have a podcast called, just like the name of the book, Winning Digital Customers. You can check that out. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. I post almost every day. I do two live casts a week there on topics relating to digital success. And you can find me there under my name, Howard Tierski. Wow. Excellent. Good. It's been great to have you today. I, I have to say, though, I'm feeling a little bit shameful. So maybe that wasn't a completely shameless plug. Just a it's tad not, bit of shame any, for, for yeah, saying all any, of those things. It's all right. Anything, this is your opportunity to... Uh, to, to plug whatever you want. So that's really good. Right. Thank you. Uh, Howard Tursky, uh, Wall Street Journal bestselling author for Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrevel Irrelevance. I got it right. <laughs> um, it's been great having you today. Um, I look forward to, uh, to looking at more of our little digital books that make, that make a wonderful sound. <laughs> You're having a manic Thursday. Have a great week. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Brent. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. This episode has been sponsored by Magento Creative, partnering with the client to help fulfill their strategic growth, serving the world as an Adobe Gold partner and Big Commerce Elite partner. Magento, the code of commerce. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by Swift Daughter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Daughter. Swift Daughter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. 
We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftotter.com. Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce, new shows out every week.